Financial experts thought we were in the clear. They were anticipating around six rate cuts by the Fed this year. And then the inflation data came out, higher than expected. Friends, this isn't going away. It can't. The U.S. is $34 trillion in the hole, and yet we keep printing money, which pushes the prices you pay every day even higher. So you can either bury your head in the sand or you can do something about it. Diversify a portion of your savings into gold with Birch Gold Group. Gold is your hedge against inflation, and Birch Gold makes it easy to own. They'll help you convert an existing IRA or 401k into a tax-sheltered IRA in gold, and you don't pay a penny out of pocket. Text STRANGE to 989898 and get your free info kit on gold. Then talk to a precious metal specialist on how to protect your savings from persistent inflation with gold. Text STRANGE to 989898 now. The highly anticipated second season of the hit podcast Proof is finally here. Proof is an investigative true crime podcast co-hosted by Susan Simpson of Undisclosed and Jacinda Davis of Evil Lives Here. Proof made headlines for its first season in 2022 after proving the innocence of two Georgia men serving life sentences for murdering their friend Brian Bowling when they were just 17 years old. 25 years later, on December 8, 2022, both men were finally freed based on evidence unearthed by Proof. In the second season of Proof, Murder at the Warehouse, Susan and Jacinda are on the case again, this time traveling the streets of Manteca, California, to uncover who really murdered 18-year-old Rene Ramos. On June the 5th, 2000, Ramos's body was found buried under a pile of debris inside the shell of a new Home Depot building. Despite tips hinting at alternate suspects, tips that were ignored until now, Renee's boyfriend, 18-year-old skateboarder Jake Silva, and Ty Lopez, the 33-year-old uncle of one of Jake's close friends, were arrested and convicted of her murder. Fans of true crime and investigative series won't want to miss this riveting new season. Follow the case as Susan and Jacinda uncover long-overlooked evidence about what really happened to Renee by listening to Proof, Murder at the Warehouse, wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Samantha Cole, host of the new season of Understood, The Pornhub Empire. Over the course of four episodes, I'll tell you how a horny YouTube knockoff in Canada came to dominate the porn world, only to shatter their cheeky reputation in a massive scandal. The Pornhub Empire is a new season of Understood from the CBC. Available now wherever you get your podcasts. Richard Serrett's Strange Planet. Following the truth wherever it leads. Exposing evil and corruption and the secret machinations of powerful elites. Revealing the high strangeness beneath the surface of our supposed reality. Coming to you from the Great White North and his studio beneath the stairs. Here's Richard. And welcome. And a special welcome to my premium subscribers. This is another Strange Planet Plus episode. And if you're fascinated by the weird, the unexplained, and the bizarre, you've come to the right place. Charles Christian is here. He's going to take us on a fascinating road trip around what he calls the Wold Newton Triangle, where rather odd events have occurred, unmatched anywhere else in Britain. We'll talk about werewolves, zombies, vampires, green-skinned fairy folk, headless ghosts, screaming skulls, ancient warlords, and, uh, and so much more. Charles Christian is an English barrister, 
and Reuters correspondent turned writer, podcaster, award-winning tech journalist, and sometime werewolf hunter. He now writes, talks, and makes videos mainly about folklore, urban myths, history, and the weird. And yes, an English Fleet Street newspaper once did commission him to go on a werewolf hunt on the night of a full moon. He's the author of A Travel Guide to Yorkshire's Weird Wolves, The Mysterious World Newton Triangle, Saints and Sinners in Dark Age England, Shuckland, Weird Tales, Ghosts, Folklore, and Legends from East Anglia's Waveney Valley. And uh, his brand new one is The Mysterious Wold Newton Triangle. Charles, welcome to Strange Hello. Planet. How are you? I'm fine. Very glad to be talking to you. I read in your bio that you were born with a call, much like David Copperfield. Mm, mm, yes. And um, much like David Copperfield, his parents sold his, I think, in the in the novel. Um, my mother gave mine away. She thought it was a bit horrible. So, Was it purchased by a sailor? Or was uh, it? No, it wasn't. No, it wasn't. <laughs> yes. Yes, it's a fascinating little bit of history, that, that uh, they were, they, they, you see ads for them in um, old newspapers and they were going for, you know, 50, 100 guineas in sort of the year, you know, 200 years ago, which was thousands of pounds by yes. modern standards. Yes, because it's it's good luck for sailors, right? If The, the, the legend yeah. is if you have a call, you, you will not drown in a in a shipwreck. Yeah, the, the idea is that as you're born with a call, which is basically a bag over your head that's full of a salty water, that you live through that. So therefore, um, falling into the sea is not going to be a problem because you you, you know you're you're immune to it. Well, a very uh, auspicious beginning then for Charles. <laughs> so tell me about growing up in um, in your in Yorkshire Wolds. First of all, what what is a wold? Right, a wold is a geographic. Uh, sorry. Um, geological term it's basically limestone hills and um they typically have a steep hill at one end and then a gentle slope down at the other end but the the key thing is they are made of limestone and you get lots of unusual geological effects on limestone including underground rivers and aquifers that occasionally burst through onto the surface and take people by surprise and you know a dry riverbed suddenly after a heavy rainfall becomes a flash flood and uh, becomes a raging torrent so uh, tell me about growing up in in the north of england you grew up in a in a spooky house i did indeed i was born in a town called scarborough which is an old fishing town um, on the coast of Yorkshire, and about 20 miles or so from the Wolds that we were talking about. And uh, my parents' house was right by the harbour side, and it was a very old house. The original part of it was medieval, and when we had building works done, we found walls that were three feet thick from its early construction and then other bits were added on as the uh, foreshore was extended and um, docks were built and the like uh, but it was sufficiently close that when there is a high tide the cellars flood 
and they they still do to this day. Uh, they flood there. But um, I say it was an unusual house because bits had been added on, so it didn't really have a normal floor plan. And you'd find passageways that just stopped for no apparent reason. And there'd be rooms that somehow didn't quite connect with each other and funny little bits where you'd go upstairs and we, we actually overlapped with the property next door. So looking at our house, it would appear that there was somebody sitting in a bay window, but in fact, that was a neighbor. So it's a very strange, unusual house. And uh, as was the way with those houses, they um, utilized anything that was going cheap for building materials. So a lot of the timber work was stuff that had originally been in um, a ship uh, old ships, beams and timbers. And we had lots of attics above the house, um, upper rooms, and you could hear strange creaks and clunks from them. And a um, psychic medium friend of my parents said she could hear men in big, heavy boots marching around up there. And my father subsequently said his grandmother used to use the upper rooms as a place where uh, fishermen or sailors who were caught in the harbour because of storms and had got nowhere to stay, um, they could stay up there. And obviously they would have had great big boots on, um, sea boots, which people wore in those days. You know, we're talking the end of the 19th century here. So um, it, it was uh, to take from the um, famous ghost movie, you know, it's not I can see dead men, um, but I can hear dead men walking above my bedroom. It's, my, it's how I grew up. Wow. And um, so how did that, how did that shape your, uh, your worldview, let's say? I mean, are you a skeptic, a believer? I'm a... I'm a, I, 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 it's a bit hard to say I'm a skeptic in the sense I'm not somebody who immediately thinks, ooh, that's a UFO or ooh, that's something spooky. But I'm open to um, evidence and I don't deny it out of hand. I don't say, you know, the paranormal doesn't exist. Uh, it's just that I haven't had any personal experiences of it. Uh, but I'm perfectly happy to accept that there are weird things out there and we don't know as much about the world as we'd like to think we do. And that the scientific view of this is what's right and everything else is just fake news. Um, I don't take that as being correct. I think we live in a, a far more complicated universe than a lot of people realize. But I say in terms of my growing up, um, we were, you know, showing my age a bit, but this was the 1950s. And in the UK, at least, television wasn't as uh, pervasive as it is now and used to end relatively early in the evening. And uh, we, you know, we read a lot and we sat around open coal fires and over Christmas period and things like that, people would you know, tell ghost stories, tell, well, mysterious things that had happened to them or their relatives. So I grew up in 
a household where tales of the unusual and the abnormal were perfectly normal. So I, I, I grew up with a fascination with um, what we'd now call paranormal affairs. Did that include keeping the St. Mark's Vigil? It did indeed. I, I, um, I only learned about that relatively later on. But uh, I, when I was at university, I was um, doing some, by modern standards, very amateur ghost hunting. You know, I had no technology then. It was just a case of um, cameras and notebooks and flasks of coffee. And we did a thing called the St. Mark's Vigil, which is um, more something in the north of England. It is practice in other places. And the idea is that on St. Mark's Eve, which is either, I haven't got the date in front of me, I think it's late April. If you sit in a churchyard porch, you know, the entrance to a, the actual church building, you will see the spirits or the manifestations of all the people who will die and be buried in that churchyard in the coming 12 months and you'll see them go in there in a long line and i say there, there, there there's accounts of this going back to the middle ages of people keeping the vigil and seeing people go through there and uh, we 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 tried it uh, when i was at university and we did it at a, a saint mark's church just to be um, doubly uh, covered but we sadly didn't see anything though um, we did later discover we'd made a fairly ele elementary error in that the churchyard was no longer used for burials so there wouldn't have been anybody in that parish uh, being buried in that churchyard. So uh, Aha, we, we, we slightly, we got the maths wrong. We made a mistake on that one. But, All, right. Um, All right. So that window's still open potentially. Uh, it is indeed. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, some, something to try. And I say uh, it's quite elaborate rituals, not rituals, um, uh, legends surrounding it. And that if you see somebody go into the church, and then come out again, that indicates that they're going to be very seriously ill during the course of the coming year, but they will survive and recover. So it's, 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 quite, a nice, it's quite a nice tale, that. So tell me about the Wald-Newton Triangle. Where is it geographically, um, uh, topographically, and so forth? Right. Well, it is south of Scarborough, and it's the what used to be called the East Riding of Yorkshire, the easternmost section of it. And it's bounded on one side by a road that runs through it, the only main road in the area. And on the other side by, um, other, other two sides, by coastline. And um, there is a very large headland there called Flamborough Head. And that sticks out and that, if you like, is one point of the triangle and um, you, you draw around it that way and it's one of those areas that is purely agricultural the inland part and has probably had more people living there back in the days when farms were a lot more labor intensive 
far more people living there then than there are in the present day. And it tends to be overlooked, but it was one of those places where when I was a kid, um, I'd go out with my parents for drives on a Sunday afternoon, which was uh, a thing you did in the 1950s. Uh, and then later I'd go out with my friends on bikes and cycle around there. And slowly, I suppose, I soaked up the fact that there were lots of odd tales um, associated with it. And it was only much later that I realised just how much uh, there was. And I felt that this was an area that was not getting the attention it deserved. And um, there was so much going on there. And I just found it very unusual. And uh, I found that all of the events took place in an area that could be encompassed in a triangle, which is why I call it the Wold Newton Triangle. And Wold Newton is a village in the centre of it and, um, you know, an obvious name for it. And it seems to have stuck and um, now be the general term for it. But I say it was just, you know, just struck me that here's this place in the middle of nowhere and it seems to be an epicentre of weirdness. And um, I just felt it was deserved exploring and chronicling, which is what I've done in the original book and um, more recently, the new book, The World Newton Triangle, which is sort of an updated version of it and um, now available in paperback for the first time as well. So um, it, it was that that um, prompted it. The mysterious Wold Newton Triangle wraiths, werewolves, and other weird tales from the Yorkshire Wolds. That's uh, the one. Hi there. I want to tell you about a podcast I know you're going to love. It's called The Dead Files from Travel Channel. On The Dead Files, Amy Allen and Steve DeShavi investigate the paranormal activity haunting real people and homes across the United States. Amy and Steve come from totally different perspectives when they investigate. Amy's a medium. She sees and speaks to dead people and uses this skill to find out why someone might be haunting a place. Steve is a retired homicide detective. He tackles the case from the other end of the spectrum and uses public records and witness accounts to piece together the history of the haunted location. On every episode, Steve and Amy investigate a different, real haunting to help the family struggling with its effects. On one episode in Falconer, New York, a family keeps waking up with scratches and bruises. They also see a shadow figure lurking around their home. They call Amy and Steve to investigate. Amy uses her strength as a medium to understand who the presence is coming from and why it's so angry. Separately, Steve finds out the history of the house from the townspeople and in public records. He finds that several people who lived in this house died, which matches Amy's findings. At the end of the episode, Steve and Amy share their findings and make a recommendation on whether it's safe to stay in the house or time to get out. There are so many crazy stories on the dead files, and what's interesting about Amy and Steve is that they investigate the hauntings from two totally different perspectives. You listen to my podcast because you love tales of the paranormal. But if you want more, listen to The Dead Files wherever you get your podcasts. And it, it was um, a meteorite crash there, right? There was indeed, yes. And the end of the um, 18th century, what was then the largest meteorite ever found in England 
Um, because obviously a lot of meteorites crashing the sea and are never seen or break up. Um, came down there on a Sunday afternoon and just so happened there was a farm labourer very close by and um, you know he, he, he saw it come down and he saw the heard the noise and saw all the earth kicked up where it embedded itself in and he reported it to the local squire who uh, owned the area um, and um, he was character out of a sort of an 18th century um, Beau Brummel type uh, novel, a bit of a rake. Um, one of those people who spent his time fox hunting and gambling and gaming and everything else. And he chronicled it all and took it down to London and put it on exhibition there and charged everybody a, a penny a time to look at it. And um, it's actually still available in the uh, Science Museum in London, in Kensington. You can still see, find the Woe Newton meteorite. Um, but I say it, it was intriguing that this meteorite should come down right in the centre of this, this area um, near the village of Woe Newton. And it, it fits in, I suppose, with there are a number of ley lines that run through the area and there is a popular belief that ley lines are some form of as yet not fully understood energy line and that you know, perhaps it attracted the meteorite which is why it landed there as opposed to anywhere else. How do we connect the um, Wall Newton meteorite and superheroes. Well, that, that's obviously, we're moving into the world of fiction here, but um, Philip Jose Farmer, um, science fiction novelist, um, he in the late 60s, early 70s, was writing a number of biographies in quotes of superheroes, people like Tarzan. Um, and he came up with this theory that Tarzan's ancestors and various other superheroes were all people who were happened to be riding in a couple of horses and carriages that Sunday afternoon that were in the area. And the meteorite gave off radiation and the radiation gave them their superpowers. And I say, according to him, not only Tarzan's um, family were there, but also people like Sherlock Holmes' ancestors and a few super, um, a few villains, including some of Moriarty, um, Holmes's uh, nemesis, and um, he's sort of de developed this Bull Newton family of people who were there and were caught up in the radiation from the meteorite and as they developed superhuman powers. So, uh, you know, it's, 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 it's intriguing that a relatively obscure occurrence um, in an in a obscure part of England is picked up and then becomes part of, well, um, Basically, now it would be the Marvel MCU, you know, right, right, fitting in with that. Remarkable, remarkable. Yeah, 
I'd say it was, it's things like that that made me think, well, this this place, the Woe Newt Triangle, is a lot more interesting than people think. There's an awful lot going on there and a um, lot of connections. So, you know, you just put it all together and it just becomes more and more intriguing. Is there is Star Car located within the triangle? This ancient, uh, well, mm. it goes back to the Ice Age, right? One of the, the, the first human settlements yes. after the Ice Age retreated? Yes, indeed. It's just um, on the boundary, the northernmost boundary of it. And it's on a site that used to be a lake and it was a lake village possibly built on wooden stilts used for fishing and the like. And uh, the marshy land has preserved the timbers and they go back about 10,000 years. So um, it's just after the Ice Age, but um, when England was starting to be repopulated. Um, but the meltwater from the ice was still around, so there were still lakes there and there were still um, very heavy marshes, which have subsequently dried out and gone. And, uh, you know, it's, it's reckoned it was some of the earliest, earliest carpentry in uh, the Western world, well, well, in Europe, that was found there. And uh, there's been digs going on there for getting on for 60 or 70 years, you know, each summer um, archaeologists head out there and they found some unusual items there. Um, they found a large number, they're called deer frontlets and basically it's the skull of a red deer and they've been fashioned as a musk and the horns have been trimmed down to make them a bit more manageable and a couple of eye holes have been bored into the front of the skull and the only explanation is the people of this time wore them over their face as a mask and the assumption has to be this was some kind of shamanistic ritual where they were getting into the spirit of the red deer which a bit like the um, North American buffalo was to Native Americans um, it was a source of meat, it was a source of um, fur, it was a source of sinews, it was a source of uh, antler horn which could be made into fishing hooks and um, spear points and things. So it was a very valuable creature to the survival of these people. And it's assumed that they must have carried out shamanistic rituals in the sense of being possessed or learning the ways of the red deer that they were about to hunt and so that they were thinking the same as red deer. Charles Christian is with us. The mysterious Wold Newton Triangle, wraiths, werewolves, and other weird tales from the Yorkshire Wolds. Um, when you're talking about shamans and, and uh, it almost sounded like um, a bit of shape-shifting perhaps going on there as well with the, uh, you know, trying to... Uh, I guess be imbued with the spirit of this red deer. What about the legend? I, I think that I think that would definitely be what they were thinking. Right. I mean, that's you know classic shamanism that you become the creature that you are um, aping or um, following. So yes, definitely. 
Right. Sorry, you were about to say about well, it just kind of leads us into a discussion about you know shape shifting and and werewolves because that is part of the legend. It is uh, indeed. So that's yeah. Tell yeah. me, tell me about the uh, the uh, the werewolf. Yes, uh, well, I mean that that's it. That's intriguing because werewolves aren't a normal part of English folklore and legend. Um, you know, they're 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 Native American. They're uh, certainly in parts of Europe, particularly heading east into the Balkans, um, they are a creature of their legend and folklore, and uh, they crop up in other parts of the world. But England has generally not been one for werewolves. Uh, but there is this one called Old Stinker, and it takes its name from its putrid breath. Um the smell and the tale goes back a long long time that right back to the middle ages the first accounts of it and it's an intriguing story because this area was plagued by wolves in the middle ages um you know we're talking a thousand eleven hundred years ago and in winter the wolves being high, were covered in snow and relatively inhospitable. And the wolves, the natural wolves, would come down off the hills and attack people in the valley um, and uh, be a nuisance, attack stragglers, attack, attack, attack um, cattle and sheep in the fields and so on, attack farmers. And so much so that there was a uh, hospice built there, hostel built there, specifically for travellers to shelter in at night. And the charter, which goes back to something like 960 AD, um, it charter says it's so that people aren't at risk of being devoured by wolves. So there's clearly a wolf problem in this part of the world. And sometime after that, a legend grew up that the wolves were being led by a warlock or wizard who was a shapeshifter. So by day he had a human form and would um, be sort of loitering around in markets, squares and uh, inns and would be gathering intelligence of who was traveling around that area and you know who who was not who was wasn't a local and would be heading home along this particular lonesome road where the wolves were known to attack and then during nighttime he would transform into a wolf so was a werewolf and he would lead the wolves and they would attack um the unfortunate travelers and um eat them and generally, well, attack, kill them and eat them. And so this legend grew up of um, Old Stinker the Werewolf. And uh, after being mentioned in the medieval period, he crops up again uh, in the 18th century. And when I was um, a school kid in the early 1960s, there were tales, um, reports of drivers 
thinking they'd seen a car in front of them because there were two orangey red dots in the road and they thought you know maybe the the rear lights of a car but then they realized it was the eyes of a large creature coming towards them and uh, say one lorry driver reported that the wolf it was a wolf-like creature that jumped up and tried to attack his uh, lorry but he drove on and uh, escaped and so that was the legend of old stinker the werewolf um i think in uh, there was also a sighting as recently as 2016 in uh, was it near beverly mhm yeah there's then became um 2014 15 16 it was that period uh there were tales of a wolf-like creature haunting an area known as the Balmston Drain, which was basically a drainage cut that runs from Beverly down to the uh, city of Hull. And there were numerous claims that um, a wolf-like creature was prowling along there. And uh, where the Balmston Drain heads into uh, Hull, it's got quite a bad reputation because it's relatively steep-sided and in times past there was a lot of factories along the edge of it and um, they would be pouring effluent into it and it was relatively warm water so it was always rather misty and spooky looking and there were lots of tales of uh, young children swimming in the drain and getting into difficulty and drowning. And it's reckoned that there's been at least one or two drownings a year there for the best part of a century with people, mainly kids, getting caught in there and... Um, going underwater so it was a, it was an area that already had a spooky reputation and then in the uh, winter of um, 2015 uh, there were reports of this werewolf lurking in the area and that's where I got involved because I'd written about um, old stinker in my uh, original book about the world Newton triangle and I was approached by a newspaper and asked if I would like to join them on a werewolf hunt, as, as you said in the intro, on the um, night of a full moon to see if uh, there was anything in the story. And uh, so, yeah, that's where I add to my CV the fact I'm uh, a sometime <laughs> werewolf hunter. Uh, and a spoiler alert here. Uh, what did you find, if anything? Well... Um, the fact I'm talking to you now and I'm not going, oh, uh, <laughs> should, should hopefully indicate that I, I, I didn't encounter werewolf and wasn't turned into one. However, um, we did spot at the other side of the drain, um, and there aren't many bridges along it. So, you know, it's rather fortuitous that the what we saw was on the other side but there was a very large animal 
that we can assume must have been a very big dog stalking us on the other side of the drain of if you like on the far bank opposite us and we'd got torches and um, they picked out the animal's eyes and they were orangey red as the legend has it and they were very large and interestingly the animal didn't flinch and hide away which is often what happens if it's a, a wild animal like a fox or something it will realize it's been spotted and then it will go to ground this one was watching us and as we were walking along one side of the bank it was following us on the other side keeping pace with us so my thought is well if it was a werewolf and we all know tales of werewolves supposed powers i think it would have been able to get across leap across the drain and get us um it didn't so i'm thinking it was probably a very large dog like a malamute or a husky something of that nature uh that had been let loose because a lot of people take them as pets and then realize they're huge animals and um you know, cost a fortune to keep them fed and and you know a lot of time to exercise them i suspect it was something like that that had been let loose and was prowling the other side looking for stuff to to eat um you know there'd be plenty of um small animals around there that it could live off and that that was what the the beast actually was but I say, there was that moment where we saw the red eyes looking at it, and uh, <laughs> all of our hearts stopped. Thought, oh! <laughs> Once you had dismissed that it was not a werewolf, Charles, did you think, perhaps even for an instant, that it could have been Black Shuck, the demon hound? <laughs> well, it was in the wrong territory for ah. that. <laughs> Black Shuck, the demon hound, is um, where I live now in East Anglia in the county of Norfolk and I'm on what's called the Waveney Valley and Black Shuck is the legendary hellhound that haunts this part of the world and it's it's not a werewolf it's thought to be some kind of demonic dog um, that haunts the area and there have been sightings of it for 500 years and it's a big dog some people say it's the size of a small pony it's shaggy coated it's got big eyes and again it's got some very elaborate legends with it including an incident in the 16th century where it apparently rushed into a church in the middle of a thunderstorm and killed three members of the um congregation who were sheltering there um in, in in those days in the 16th century most houses had thatched roofs and a thatched roof isn't a lot of protection in a thunderstorm for fire but churches had stone or slate or lead roofs so and were stone built so it was a place people would shelter during thunderstorms as it was um a safe haven and I say rushed in there ran up and down the um, aisle 
causing mayhem and destruction, then vanished only to appear 20 miles further south at another church where it repeated the process and savaged people and killed people. When you go to the other church, um, the um, ward, warders, the wardens will um, rather proudly point to some burn marks on the door and say those were the claw marks left by Black Shuck's fiery claws when he was in there on that day. Hmm. I mean, actually, they're more likely to be candle burns, but you know, let's not let's not let the facts get in the way of a good spooky story. <laughs> what is a wraith? A wraith is um, a type of ghost. It's um, a general name for a, a, a ghost. Um, as you might call it, a spook or something of that nature, really a sort of a relic of somebody who's been and gone. It sounds more, I don't know, sinister mm. than just your run-of-the-mill ghost. Well, exactly, because, you know, we've all seen Casper the Friendly Ghost and things like that, so ghosts don't quite have, doesn't quite have the same thing, but a wraith, you know, the sort of spiritual remnant of a deceased person, just has a slightly more, as you say, um, scary feel to it. Right, right. Um, how do zombies enter into the picture in the uh, Wall-Newton triangle? Right, well, there's a character in history. He was a historian and chronicler in the 12th century called William of Newbra. And uh, Newbra's was a priory and he was born in Bridlington, which is one of the towns on the coastline of the Woe Newton Triangle. And he was first a young chorister at Bridlington Priory and then he moved um, to Newborough, which was a branch of the priory there and became a chronicler. And in his chronicles, which most of them is our straight history, he has lots of little footnotes. I don't know if you've seen these medieval, medieval manuscripts where there's little sketches in the side of them of, you know, hares in armour fighting snails in armour and all sort of little medieval graffiti yeah. and things. And this was the same thing um, at the bottom of a page where the main narrative had finished. He would put in little tales he'd heard, little bits of um, gossip, urban legends, folklore. However, he was adamant that he'd heard them firsthand and that these were true stories. And in his chronicles, he calls them revenants and which is another name for a ghost, something that's returned, remains. And I suppose, whereas today we think of ghosts as being transparent spiritual things, the medieval um, idea of a ghost was it was something more physical. It was, if you like, it was the walking dead. It was an animated corpse that had come back. And depending on which of the stories you read, 
they either sound like what we'd nowadays call zombies or what we'd call um, vampires, because in some instances they were attacking people and apparently sucking blood from them. Um, which again is interesting because this predates vampires in English um, literature and history by several hundred years. We don't really get the first ones until the early 19th century. So, uh, you know, again, it's an intriguing little insight, but uh, he was adamant that um, people did come back from the grave and they would attack the living and they, when their graves were opened up, they appeared to be um, soaked in blood and they seemed to have healthy looking skin and um, the way they were destroyed, again echoing modern ideas about vampires, was to hack out their heart and to um, burn it. So um, I say it's just 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 intriguing, and I say he he was I say grew grew up in the area of the Wold Newton Triangle, and then wrote about these tales in his later life. And um, in one thing I do find interesting is within the Wold Newton Triangle there is a deserted medieval village called Warham Percy and the village was abandoned hundreds of years ago but the church was used till the early part of the 20th century and again it's been the subject of a lot of archaeological digs and they've been looking at some of the older graves because obviously you can tell the health and um nutrition and lifestyles of the deceased from their remains and you know the state of their teeth and so on and they found 12 burials of the medieval period that had been deliberately mutilated after death and methods included breaking their legs or chopping their lower half of their legs off cutting their heads off and placing their heads between their legs in the grave, burying them face downwards, burying them with the skull facing downwards. And this was reflecting William of Newborough's fears about the walking dead. This was a belief that people who'd had a bad life and uh, died badly, you know, as sinners or in the pursuit of a crime or hadn't been to church regularly. You know, we're talking the medieval mindset, which is very much dominated by the medieval Catholic church and its beliefs. And, you know, hadn't uh, gone through um, confession or anything or final absolution. There was a fear that these unhappy spirits, their bodies would walk after death. And the way to stop them walking was to prevent them from walking. So breaking their legs, uh, cutting their heads off so they couldn't see where they were going. And I say it's intriguing 
you know, an, a, a, a fascinating coincidence that we have William of Newborough talking about the walking dead and in a parish church he would have been familiar with in his lifetime, there were examples of people being uh, ritually um, dismembered to prevent them walking after death. Fascinating, fascinating. I mentioned before I pushed record on this episode that my ancestors come from Yorkshire. Mm. I'm not sure if it's from the uh, the triangle or not, but um, I definitely have to get over there, visit my ancestral home, and uh, and check Do out. Yeah. Do you have a name for it at all? Or? A, a name for the area in Yorkshire? Uh, I don't. I just or a uh, town or anything. Yeah, because I say. Uh, yeah, just it, the the uh, the murky, misty paths or um, past uh, in the family tree, and yeah. one one branch comes from that that region. Um, yeah. And I'm I'm told uh, is it at the town of York? Mm -hmm. uh, there are a lot of Sarrets there, which is my last name, Sarret. S Y R E T. Ah, right. So yes, yes. Um, yeah, York is the county town of Yorkshire, and has a very long and intriguing history because at one stage well it was a it was a roman fort and a roman center and there's some intriguing ghost stories of people seeing roman soldiers um one of the most famous ones is a plumber was working in the basement of a house um, an old building and he saw a line of Roman soldiers walk through the wall across the basement and out through the farther wall. But the unusual thing was he could only see them from the knee upward, from the knees upwards. And it sudden, subsequently uh, came to light when some excavations were done that the original Roman road was about two foot lower than the current um, cellar height. So these Roman ghosts were walking on what was the ground for them, but for us, the surface had risen a couple of feet, which is why they appeared to be just from the uh -huh. knees upwards. Remarkable, remarkable. Yeah, and I say late, later uh, um, it became a Viking um, centre. It was called Jorvik, and there was a Viking kingdom in the north of England for 50, 100 years or so, and it was centered on York. So um, it's got- Danes, the, the Danish invaders, right? The Danish invaders, yes. Um, Eric Bloodaxe was the name of the last Viking king of York. And um, you know, the, 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 all the stuff you see on the, the Vikings television series, that, that's, that's what they were like. That's 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 the area. Amazing! It's an amazing um, history in an amazing part of England. The mysterious Wold Newton Triangle, wraiths, werewolves, and other weird tales from the Yorkshire Wolds. Charles Christian. That's available at uh, Amazon. And uh, we should point also to, uh, people to your website, urbanfantasist.com. That's the one www.urbanfantasist.com. I've also linked up to that in the episode notes. Charles, what a delight. Thank you so much for hanging out for the last 45, 50 minutes. It's been my pleasure. 
totally enjoyed myself. It's been great talking to you. We'll do it again sometime down the road. Indeed, that'd be great. A new Richard Serrett's Strange Planet drops every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. Subscribe at strangeplanetpodcast.com.